following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your place and your bedrooms and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people, and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hands with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds, and make frogs come up over the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same thing. By their secret arts, they also made the frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away. And me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people, that you and your house may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, said Pharaoh. Moses said, It will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought upon Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the ground, the dust of the ground, gnats came on the people and the animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jenny. One night, as a teenager, I was full of the joys of life, and uh, I was on my way to bed. I flung back the covers, ready to leap in true kind of movie style, only there's a spider right in the middle of my bed. Fortunately, before I got there, one spider, not keen on spiders. I did not want to be revisited by that spider in the night, so I used all the power I had and exterminated it. One harmless creature against the might of Claire. 
hardly a swarm or a clutter, I think the correct term is. Frogs, however, I quite like frogs. But again, the thought of not being able to hop into bed, couldn't resist that one, doesn't fill me with joy. Our reading tonight, whilst uh, on the topic of crazy amounts of frogs and gnats, is not really about the frog and gnat population of Egypt exploding beyond all reasonable proportions, but rather our reading is about a power struggle. Back at the beginning of this series on Exodus, we looked at the unequal teams of the might and power of Pharaoh and the Egyptians on one hand, and two midwives, can't remember their names right now, two midwives protecting the people of Israel on the other. And as the weeks have gone by, we've seen how the God of the Hebrew people has begun to reveal himself to them as the one true God. The plagues reveal not an ecosystem gone wrong or sudden effects of climate change, but a contest of power, power from above and power from below. The purpose of this contest is to reveal the power and might of God who has chosen to reveal himself to the people of Israel. He's not a manifestation of nature like the Egyptian sun god, but the God who controls the whole world whilst choosing to be in relationship with humankind. God who revealed himself mysteriously to Moses through the medium of a burning bush that wasn't consumed is now ramping it up. The people of Israel are going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that their God is more powerful than anyone, even the Pharaoh king who's been exercising power over every aspect of their lives for a generation or more, as if he were a God. And I think the question for us to consider this evening is how do we reflect that knowledge, the knowledge that there is an all-powerful God in the way that we handle power in our lives? Last week, Philip talked to us about the hardness of Pharaoh's heart in comparison to the humility of the heart of Moses. And when we look at the text, we do indeed see a hardness of heart in Pharaoh that's stubborn and unyielding and cruel. If we go back a little in our story to the first plague in chapter 7, the water of the Nile being turned into blood, we see that Pharaoh's reaction to this is to turn around and go back into his house, thanks. He didn't want to know. His people were having to dig around the Nile for clean water, and Pharaoh didn't want to see that or acknowledge their hardship or listen to their distress. He just is all right in his palace, thanks. He didn't care the trouble that is befalling his people. It's a terrible display of self-centered power, but then corrupt power is self-serving. Corrupt power is also self-deceiving. 
When Moses first goes to Pharaoh to plead for the release of the Hebrews to worship the one true God, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should heed him and let Israel go? Pharaoh's vision is obscured by all the gods he's created for himself and of himself. There's no room in Pharaoh's heart to entertain any thought of something other, a being higher or greater than himself. Such a view of power leads Pharaoh to dismiss the power of God Moses is beginning to reveal to him. When his own magicians can conjure up blood from water and frogs, the same as the ones crawling all around him, and when the Nile becomes clean again and the frogs all die, Pharaoh shrugs his shoulders. This new power? It's the same as my power. What of it? Corrupt power is also hard to let go of. It's all-consuming and can't be shared. When Pharaoh's magicians cannot create gnats from dust as Aaron does, they acknowledge for the first time that here is a power beyond their own. But Pharaoh is having none of it. He refuses to listen to the wisdom of their words and refuses to acknowledge what he is seeing and experiencing because his heart is hard and unyielding and he is not about to concede any of his power. So corrupt power is self-serving and self-preserving and all-consuming. So much for the blue corner. What's happening in the red corner opposite? How is Moses responding to the power God is exercising through him? Moses, having met with God in the desert, is all too aware of that which is greater and more powerful than he could ever be. And in his humility, he does not consider himself to be a god or godlike. There's no melodrama beyond performing exactly what God tells him to do. And through his response to God's call on his life, begin to see a leader emerge, don't we? Moses, who considers himself ill-equipped and poorly spoken, is leading firstly from listening. He is listening to God and he's doing exactly what God tells him to do. Secondly, because he knows he is not God, he's able to share the power. Aaron is his right-hand man, with him at every audience with Pharaoh, and it is Aaron who stretches his hand out over the Nile to bring the frogs. It is Aaron who strikes the dust to create the gnats. Moses does not need these acts of power to be all about him. Aaron is his brother, his witness, and acts alongside him at Moses' direction. Acting with power has not turned Moses' heart. Even though God has said, you'll be like God to Pharaoh, Moses has been full of doubts about himself, saying, who am I? God's response has been, I am with you. This belief in the God of the universe who is bigger 
and more powerful beyond what Moses can imagine produces faithful obedience in Moses. It's so important that Moses holds to this because sometimes doing what God asks brings a bad smell. Piles of rotting frogs made the land stink. Have a think for a minute. What's the worst smell you can ever remember smelling? Yes, I can tell by the faces there have been some bad ones. In the distant past, I was a nurse. I have to say, gangrene is the worst smell I have ever, ever smelt. Once smelt, never forgotten. I don't know how, but somehow it gets into your nose and on your hair and in your clothes. And the only way to get rid of that smell is to go home and have a shower and wash all your clothes. I've always thought... If the gnats had come before the frogs, then the frogs would have eaten all the gnats, and it just all would have been a bit tidier somehow, but we would still have been left with rotting frogs. Possibly worse, they'd have been fatter. So my reasoning is flawed. Maybe I just want things to be a bit tidier. God, if we have to have plays, can we somehow make them nicer, slightly less awful? If you have to be a god of power and show Pharaoh who's in charge, do you have to do it quite so strongly? You can't soften it up a bit. But we don't get to tell God how to be God. And we never get to see the whole picture. Now, because we have the Bible, we can see there are ten plagues. But Moses doesn't know that. He has to persevere through the stench of those frogs and just keep saying yes whenever God speaks. It must have been quite a roller coaster for Moses. He knows that Pharaoh's heart will be hardened because God has told him that. But Pharaoh gives false hope and says, okay, they can go, and then no, they're not. When the magicians fail to produce gnats and instead acknowledge God, For the first time, there's a little chink in the armor of Pharaoh. It's the first encouragement that Moses receives, aside from what he's receiving from God, that this is the right road to be on, that freedom might just be possible. Esther Stoppard Breu came and spoke to us a couple of weeks ago about her work leading international justice mission, was an incredible example of someone who sees mountains of resistance with encouragement coming from just one freed person at a time. And yet, for as long as God calls her to this work, she is listening and leading others in obedience to God, and trusting that God will work his purposes out because he is God. Now, because Moses is not corrupted by power, he is able to act out of regard for others. When he was a young man and a prince in the Egyptian court, he took power into his own hands and killed a man who was beating another. 
driven by righteous anger perhaps, but he misused the power available to him. And then he spent decades running away from those actions. But then God stepped in with the bigger picture at the right time. Even though Moses doubts his own capability now, the thought of saving a whole nation from slavery enables him to say yes to God. Moses learns to listen, to obey a step at a time, even when things are getting unpleasant. Without knowing the whole story, the consequences, though, have national impact. We all struggle with power every day, don't we? There's a contest within each of us. Can I follow Jesus today with all of myself? Or will I conform to the desires of the flesh and all this world offers? Will I risk losing my own life in order to gain Christ, as Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans? Or as Dietrich Bonhoeffer so starkly put it, when Christ calls someone, he bids him come and die. Our natural inclination is to self-serve, self-preserve and disregard those around us. But through the example of Moses, we see that we can respond differently to power. Some of us are called to be upfront leaders and exercise power in ways that at the time can make us quake in our boots, believe me, and come up with all kinds of excuses. Some of us are called to be good seconds, like Aaron, to hold the main leader to account, to make sure the action happens as planned. It doesn't mean we won't doubt ourselves or doubt what God has asked us to do, because faith and doubt are just the closest of companions. The question is, when God calls, when we find ourselves in positions of power, whether it's in the day-to-day and all the small things, or for something bigger in a particular season, how are we going to respond? Ruth Perrin, one of our local academics here, was quoted recently as saying, my mantra for years has been, fear is just excitement on a bad day. I like to think that whilst the text tells us that Moses doubted his own abilities and tested God with his initial lack of fervor for the task at hand, that Moses, whilst feeling the fear and risking everything, also knew some excitement when he saw God at work. I like to think that, but I don't actually know. It may be that Moses woke each day of this particular period of his life in absolute dread. He certainly spent much of his time crying out to God on behalf of Pharaoh and on behalf of the people of Israel. Obedience to God comes at a cost. Sometimes there's very little encouragement along the way. Sometimes there's a terrible stench and the blame may unfairly become attached to you. I know that some of you have been involved in the CU mission over the past week. No doubt the exec decided the plan and divvied up the tasks so that many hands will have made that mission happen. Perhaps some of you have doubted your own ability but felt the fear and done it anyway. And now, 
I'd like to think you're excited with all the ways you have seen God at work over this past week. But perhaps some of you have experienced people avoiding you, like you're a bit of a bad smell or uh, something they don't want to be tainted with. In the weeks to come, as the adrenaline of mission week wanes, the temptation to limit God may appear. To ask God if he could be just a bit nicer whilst being all-powerful. When we ask God to do things our way, we're losing the power contest within. We're forgetting that Jesus, who only ever did what the Father told him to, undertook the most loving act of obedience of all. Jesus, who took all our excuses, all our self serving, self-preserving disregard for others did the most powerful thing of all by laying down his power that was available to him and choosing to die so that we can live freely and in relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. So tonight I'm thanking God that when it comes to power and obeying him, He holds the power. It's not about me. All I have to do is say yes. And I'm thanking God that no matter what he calls us to, we stand together, sister with brother, around the world, holding one another in prayer and as witnesses of our powerful God. I'm thanking God that he never has and never will water himself down to any of our ideas of what might constitute being a nice God. And I'm thanking God that he is a God without limits, yet he still pursues relationship with each one of us because he loves us. When I hear people say that they don't need God because they are masters of their own lives, I'm praying they will meet the God of the universe with such power they can no longer doubt his existence. And when I listen to those whose anxiety and concerns and worries and attempts to control everything robs them of peace, I'm praying that they would hear God when he whispers in the night just as we sang that they would hear, be still, and know that I am God. I am who I am. The God who reveals himself to us, who is all-powerful and always with us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.